Hello, and welcome back to a very special episode of Life in Pictures podcast. Today is a special day. It's 30 years since the release of the original Jurassic Park movie. And to help us celebrate that 30-year anniversary, we have included our children. Say hi, kids. Hi. So this movie is um, quite special because we were children when this movie was released 30 years ago, and now our children are experiencing that movie with us. And actually, we watched it. Uh, to celebrate the 30th anniversary, and it was our daughter Olivia's first time seeing the movie. Um, she has thoughts. We'll share those later. But we wanted to kind of start this episode off and kick it off with a little bit of um, fun facts about the movie, because we think we think everybody has seen it at this point. Yeah, hopefully you've seen this movie. If not, first go slap yourself <laughs> And then watch it and come back and listen to this podcast if you don't want spoilers. Yes. So Jurassic Park was released on June 11th, 1993. So exactly 30 years ago today. And it has grossed over $1.046 billion. Which was probably worth a lot more in 1993 than it is now. Right. So if that gives you any indication of how massive of a movie this was... It was a big, and it is still a big deal. It was yes. a big deal. Absolutely. So, did you see this movie in the theater as a kid? I saw this movie in the theater like four times when I was a kid. Yeah, I I know that we definitely saw it more than once, which is interesting because I feel like that was something that we did a lot more back yeah. then because maybe because uh, movies were $5 and not $25 every time you wanted to go. Yeah. But I can remember quite a few movies where we would go see it in the theater over and over again. Well, I um, remember this movie because we went to see it. It was me and my brother and my friend Blake. And we saw it first in Ocala. Then we saw it like again in Boynton. And I don't know if we maybe saw it more than once there, but we saw it several times the three of us and then we actually went and saw it together again at the 20th anniversary screening that they had the three of us together and i'm surprised but i haven't seen any 30th anniversary screenings advertised which is kind of weird but if i find one then i'll probably go see that too i've seen it a few other times in theaters just at random screenings that i've seen pop up mm -hmm. um but yeah, it's a great movie. I've seen that movie so many times. It's one of my favorites. I agree. Um, I think for me, it was um, terrifying, but also like just so good and you couldn't look away. And I feel like even now, every time I watch it, I see it from a different perspective and I catch something different. It's interesting because, you know, I think when I had first seen it, I maybe didn't realize a lot of things about it. I mean, I was only nine years old as well, but like mm -hmm. as time has gone on, you sort of realize that like it's science fiction, but it's also kind of like a monster movie. Yeah. You know, like you sort of like wait or like a horror movie in a way, like you sort of wait for those dinosaur attacks, you know, like that's like part of the fun of the movie. And I thought I always thought it was interesting that um, it's directed by Steven Spielberg 
And there's definitely some parallels to Jaws. And Jaws was his first, you know, major hit. And then, you know, 25 years or what was it? No. 75, 85, uh, 18 years later, I guess it would have been. Uh, he has Jurassic Park. And it's like the same kind of movie where they have these monsters that are these people are trying to outrun them and everything. And mm. and John Williams did the score for both movies. And um, it's just, I don't know. Like, everything about this movie is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so currently you can um, rent or buy it digitally. It's also available on DVD, probably VHS if you can find one. I mean, I think at this point, there most people have a copy of Jurassic Park and a way to watch it. Your local library probably has one. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a very big movie. Uh, and some of the things that happen culturally around this, uh, Weird Al did a parody of MacArthur Park, and he called it, he made it into Jurassic Park, which is pretty funny. Um, uh, it was parodied on The Simpsons in the episode where they go to Itchy and Scratchy Land. Um, and it's, which is also kind of funny because The Simpsons and Jurassic Park both ended up being featured in the Universal theme parks later on. Um, you know, there's there's countless other places that it's, it's shown up in pop culture, but those are the two that stick out to me. Um, but yeah, it's the 30th anniversary. People are celebrating. Universal Orlando is doing a lot of stuff for the 30th anniversary. They have the Jurassic Park tribute store that's opening up. Um, I've seen that they've started to kind of pepper in the different vehicles and stuff on City Walk and in the theme parks. And that looks like that would be a lot of fun to go check out. So if you're in the Orlando area and you feel like celebrating a little Jurassic Park, they are celebrating there. Maybe they might even have a screening at the theater there. Who knows? But worth checking out. Yeah. There's also, um, you know, all kinds of like 30th anniversary toys and all these things we've seen in stores um, to celebrate. So that's kind of fun. Um, you know, any chance that they can make money on something, they will take it. So we sat down to watch this movie as a family and... Travis is, um, you know, reciting the movie line for line. And Colin says, how do you know everything the guy says? <laughs> That's because we've seen this movie 500 times, at least. Yes. So I thought we could um, have the kids kind of weigh in <coughs> on, Colin, you want to talk about your thoughts on this movie? Like, Maybe talk about the first time you saw it, because you were a little younger the first time you saw it. Okay. Um, I, I, I feel, I remember, I definitely remember, like, I saw Jurassic World, like, before I saw Park, so I was confused on, like, why it had the same music, and why the names were so similar, similar, and the logo was so similar, and I was just like... I feel like this movie copied off of it, and then later on, I remember I didn't remember. I figured out that they're the same thing. They're part of the same. Okay, so timeline. you thought Jurassic World was like the the beginning of it. Yes. So for you, Jurassic Park, you didn't even know that it had existed. Yeah. So just that's kind of an interesting perspective too. Um, Colin is twelve. 
So kids his age may not have even known that, like, what this came from prior to. I think we also need to talk about, um, it was a book first. There's a book by Michael Crichton. And if you haven't read the book, read the book. There's actually two books that he wrote, uh, which was the sequel, The Lost World. The book is way better than the movie for The Lost World, if you feel like reading. Well, actually, I haven't read the book, so I can't Um, say that. And I remember reading this book in 1993. I was nine years old. And uh, I remember my mom telling me, oh, that's a book that they made this movie out of. And, like, it had never even occurred to me before that, like, movies might be based on books. And I was like, that's crazy. It's a book. I need to read this book. And even though it was an adult-level book, I bought it and I read it. And there was a lot of it that I didn't understand at the time. Like, I could I could read the words, but I didn't necessarily comprehend all of them. Um I still have that copy of that book that I read all those years ago. I found it in the garage this morning. It's still there. Uh, and um, I've reread it a few times. It's a great book, so check that out. Um, anyway, just wanted to get that out there before we got too far into this episode. So, Olivia, you watched Jurassic Park for the first time yes. with us. What were your thoughts? Um, My thoughts were that um i think that this movie um for my age um i feel like that was a lot scarier than the other movies but um so she's seen jurassic world dominion that might have been the first Jurassic World movie you've seen? Yes. Okay. Um, but so for you, you thought that Jurassic Park was actually scarier? Yes. Tell me why. It's because that... It's because there's like... A, I don't really know how to explain it. Like the dinosaurs were scarier? Yeah, and like people got killed a lot. Rawr! Okay. Oh. So, um, that movie was, it was scary for you because the people got killed? Yes. Interesting. Did you feel like it looked realistic or like it looked silly and fake? Um, I was kind of doubting it in the beginning, but, um, at the end, it, it looked, it built up, like, it looked realer and realer. Yeah. I thought that was interesting because one of the things I noticed was that as soon as the dinosaurs were on the screen, you remarked how you said, oh, they look so real. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was a testament to the film that 30 years later, all yeah. of the effects still hold up. Yeah. I I, I think that that's um, a big part of it. Like that here we are 30 years later and like the they don't look fake. Like, yeah. a lot of movies that came out 30 years ago, you're like, oh, this is an older movie, you can tell. Like, But it just looks so real, and I think that that's what's so terrifying and amazing about it, is that it does, like, it really captures you to feel like this could really be happening. I think another reason for that is that... Um... It's kind of a blend between computer effects and practical effects. 
And part of that is because the CGI wasn't really at the level then that it is now to where they could do the whole thing in CGI. And I think that's actually better because I think you can, if you look really closely, you can tell where the CGI is, but they blend it in a lot better because it's not all CGI and you're not like, oh, clearly all of this is CGI the way that you can like totally tell now. Right, right. Um, um, so let's talk a little bit about um, the different places that it was filmed. As far as I know, it was filmed in Hawaii and New Zealand. Uh, and so you can visit some of those locations still today. And for, I, I'm not completely sure about this, but I think I remember hearing that, like, when they were done filming, they had just left, like, a lot of the stuff on the islands, like the Discovery Center and the gates and stuff. Um, I don't know if any of that stuff is still standing now, but I also heard that when they were filming that, like, an actual typhoon hit, so, like, I guess that maybe kind of helped them get into character a little bit. There was, it was kind of a, an issue for a little bit, but, uh, I mean, obviously they made it through and everything was fine, but that's kind of funny that, you know, life imitated art or art imitated life or however you want to look at it for that. Did you want to say something, Colin? Uh, yeah. So the discovery center, I don't know if it's still there or not, but, I remember, like, looking up the film locations, and the gates, like, were tore down a couple years after the movie was released. I've heard that now they currently have two poles that mark where the gates were. Yep, that's true. But that... the actual gates aren't there anymore, yeah, I that, guess. Yeah, that's true. So. Hmm. And that's in Hawaii, so I guess, uh, you know, we should maybe go to Hawaii and check it out. Obviously. Oh, Hawaii, yeah. Hawaii, if you would like to send us there, um, we will... Gladly go. Um, so do we want to give a quick summary of the movie? Sure. So quick summary of this movie. Spoiler uh, alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. Again, if you haven't seen this, what, well, I don't understand what's wrong with you. Unless you're like 10 years old or something. But if you were around when this movie came out and you haven't seen it by now, then you need to see it. Um, so there's a billionaire. His name's John Hammond. And he has decided that he's going to open a theme park where they have clones of dinosaurs. And, uh, you know, he thinks this is a great idea. And um, so he gets this, you know, a team of people to come evaluate it before they open it to the public. And, uh, you know, a lot of the people that he gets are telling him, hey, this probably isn't a good idea to mess around with this kind of stuff. Uh, you guys clearly are not prepared to handle this. And maybe we should think twice about it. And, you know, before they can really even finish giving that warning, everything they were warning about kind of comes true. And so then they have to, uh, you know, go through all kinds of crazy <coughs> adventures to escape the island without being eaten alive by dinosaurs. And uh, several of them don't make it out. So that that's pretty much the movie in a nutshell. Yes. So, um, one of the things that I took note of early on was, um, when, you know, John Hammond is this man that's created this park and he's bring, he brings these people here to see, right. If it's, if it's yeah. viable. So he brings, um, 
Dr. Ellie Sadler, he brings... Alan Grant. Dr. Al- Alan Grant, he brings this lawyer, I can never remember Donald the Donald Gennaro. Okay, Donald Gennaro. He brings and Ian Malcolm. Ian Malcolm, who is a scientist, Ian, right? Ian Malcolm, who is a mathematician. Okay, so he brings these people out, right? And they're driving around the island in the Jeeps, and um, the lawyer starts rattling off these things that he has for security and he says we have this 50 mile perimeter fence and it's just interesting to me because i you know that's something i didn't really pick up on before um did they really think that that was enough to contain dinosaurs like a 50 mile fence you know i i thought about that too while i was while we were watching this movie and a lot of those things uh questions come up during the movie but the more I think about it, the more I think that's intentional in the story. Like, that's kind of the point, is that these people were completely underprepared and had no idea what they were doing. And they're trying to kind of illustrate that point. And maybe in the beginning, that's that's also a little bit of foreshadowing. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, as an adult, I'm picking up on more of that sense of like what are we doing? This is a bad idea than I did as a child. Yeah. What did you want to say, Olivia? Um, I just wanted to say that, like, I don't really think that, like, a 50-mile fence was really going to keep the dinosaurs in. I'm just like, that's not going to keep them in. No. That's a bad idea. And, um, I just feel like some of the movie... Like, it feels like, it feels like some of the ideas were kind of, like, put in there on purpose, um, but then the story just went along and it was great. Yeah, it was great. So, um, one of the things that I noticed, too, is when they're in that little ride and you have thoughts about that. I never really paid attention to the DNA explanation when I was a child, but like every time I listen to it now as an adult, I'm like, that sounds like it could be true, right? Not only does it sound like it could be true, but here's my thoughts on that. Number one, uh, it's a funny story because I remember when I went to see that movie with my brother and my friend, we were like, oh man, they have these instructions in this movie. When this movie comes out on tape, we're totally going to get it, and we're totally going to make a dinosaur following these instructions. <laughs> and it's going to be amazing. And, you know, we didn't really Why doesn't do that. it surprise me that you guys thought you could do that? The instructions were right there. You just got to merge the DNA, man. Anybody could do it. So um, tell us your thoughts about the ride. So, yeah. So then my other thoughts on that is when they finally made Jurassic Park part of Islands of Adventure in Orlando... And they have the Discovery Center there. The Discovery Center is such a disappointment from what it is in the film. Like, how do they not have that ride in the Discovery Center? Because they have the different fake labs and stuff in there. Why couldn't you go on a little Carousel of Progress type deal and see that stuff happening? Just like it it was in the movie. That would be great. I'd do it. And they don't have it. And I was just very disappointed by that. Um... And I think there's a, like several other things they could probably do. And I'm sure some of that is just, you know, budgeting and things like that. But from a fan perspective, that would have been really cool to see. Um, 
Which, speaking of theme parks, uh, one other thing that I thought was interesting was when they were having the meeting, and it was John Hammond and the experts and the lawyer, and the, and the lawyers talking about how, oh, we can charge whatever we want and people will pay it. And John Hammond says, well, I didn't, you know, create this park to be accessible only to the ultra rich. And he says, we could have a coupon day. <laughs> and I was like, I feel like this is a real life meeting of the theme parks in Orlando. Because, <laughs> like... Anymore, they're designed for the ultra-rich, and they don't care about you. And they're like, oh, maybe we'll give you a coupon day if you're lucky, peasant. Oh, you wanted to come to see this park? Well, guess what? You have to pay for that. you got to pay more than you ever have in your life. Oh, you want to ride something? Well, now you got to pay extra for that. Oh, you want to ride a ride that's, like, more popular? Well, pay extra again. Pay for everything. It's not a carnival. It's a theme park. it's, It's getting out of hand. And I just thought it was interesting how that meeting... Is probably pretty accurate to an actual theme park meeting more and more. It was probably meant to be exaggerated a little bit back then, but now that's how it is. Yeah. Um, I agree. And also, I thought that uh, really all of what Ian Malcolm was saying in this scene about life finding a way... Um, when he said your scientists were so preoccupied with if they could, they didn't stop to think about if they should. Yeah, that's a good quote. Um, and that, you know, then they, I think it might've been Alan that said like nature selected them for extinction. Yeah. There was a reason, right? Like there's a reason that they're not around anymore. I, I think some of that also happened when they were witnessing the hatching of the raptor. Yeah. Because Dr. Wu, we get our first introduction to Dr. Wu here, and he's so smug about everything. Oh, I know everything. Nothing could possibly go wrong, which is the theme for yeah. everybody that works there. Um, but, you know, that's where they get into that whole thing. They say, well, how do you, uh, you know, make sure they don't breed in the wild? And he says, well, they're all female. And then he says, well, how do you know they're all female? Do you go look up the dinosaur skirts? Well, you know, we did deny them this chromosome. And, and then he says, well, you know, life will find a way or life finds a way. And it did. Um, and I think this is also a good point, place for me to talk about uh, some of the other cultural impacts that these things kind of bother me probably more than your average person. But you see people, they post these memes on Facebook about movies and they're totally inaccurate. Like when COVID was happening, they were trying to make a point and they had a picture of the Jurassic Park gates and they were like, oh, remember what else opened up before it was ready? And I was like, not this because it never opened to the public. Thanks for watching the movie and understanding the message, you morons. And then the other one they had was like, Oh, and okay, well, before I say this, let me preface this by saying that, like, I totally believe in equality for women and I don't view them as lesser beings or anything, but they made this meme where they were like, oh, Jurassic Park's very feminist because blah, 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 and all the dinosaurs are girls. And I'm like, but all the dinosaurs weren't girls. That's actually a major plot point in the movie. Yeah. Watch the movie before you make these stupid memes. Um, yeah, so... Oh, also when they go to have their little lunch or what dinner or whatever they're having, there's like Jurassic Park dinner plates. And I'm wondering if like, especially like when the movie was initially released, did they have that Jurassic Park China somewhere that you could go buy it? Because I feel like there's probably people out there that would have very happily bought it. Probably my husband Uh, included. (laughs) To me that I just thought that whole scene in general was just really cool that 
even when they show kind of the gift shop and they have like the lunch boxes and they have the stuffed dinosaurs and everything and it sort of like sells you on the idea that like this is a real theme park mm-hmm. and it's kind of interesting to me like whenever i go to islands of adventure and you go to that section of the park and you and the idea that like i could buy this shirt that says jurassic park on it and it's almost like the same thing as if i went to the front of the park and bought a shirt that says islands of adventure like you kind of allow yourself to get immersed into that story where you're like oh i'm actually visiting this theme park it's real you know i thought that was pretty cool um and then also later on in the movie where like kind of they're showing all of that and it's sort of like a what could have been type moment you know Mm -hmm. um i thought also when they go to get into those driverless cars that are um, the jeeps that are going to take them around like the island. That's the that's the ride, right? Like that's the big ride in the yeah, park. Yeah, the tour. Yeah. Um, the the girl gets in the car and she's like, "Whoa, there's an interactive CD-ROM!" And there's like this driverless car, and this is like mind blowing technology in 1993. And my kids are probably sitting there like, "What the heck is a CD-ROM?" Well, the funny thing is though, they had like a touchscreen, which is pretty common now. So I mean, even though it's old, it's still kind of you know, Accurate. like ahead of its time. Yeah. Um, I also would like to point out those cars are Ford Explorers. Oh, my bad. Whatever. And in the book, they were Land Cruisers. Okay. Just a little tidbit there. Sorry. Um, but yeah, I thought that was funny. I always thought that was funny too, where she goes, like, oh my God, it's an interactive CD-ROM. Or later in the movie, it's a Unix system. I know this. Mm. Yes, Olivia. Um, I have a question. Okay. Isn't there like Jurassic Park jeeps like in the movie that they're, you know, I'm. People I'm, have them in real there life. There are yeah. jeeps. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was trying to say. But the ones on the tour are not jeeps, but they yes. also do have jeeps that they can drive, gas powered jeeps they can drive around yes. freely as the opposed jeeps to the ones. The ones they the ones got on the tour. initially, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, then they, they kind of shoot back to Hammond's team telling him that there's this tropical storm coming. And he says, ay, 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 why didn't I build in Orlando? Well, first of all, um, you're not safe from hurricanes in Orlando. Uh, Florida is known for hurricanes, if you didn't know. But also, how come they have all this like state-of-the-art equipment and they didn't know that the storm, this potentially like pretty bad storm, was coming their way until like five minutes before it happens. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it just goes with that theory, that theme of they were just clearly not prepared at all. And also, <laughs> also, what kind of grandfather uses his grandchildren as the guinea pigs? When they haven't even worked out the bugs in their system. Oh, yeah, let's send them to the Tyrannosaurus paddock. That sounds like a great idea. Yes. Yeah, like, why? That's bad parenting. That is bad. But he's not. Bad parenting. It's not parenting, though. They're not his. I don't care. Wow. He should have known better, right? That's what you're trying to say. Yeah, like, what the heck? Um, also, I had kind of thought, like, maybe they did answer this in the beginning, but I don't think that they ever did. Why is Dennis Nedry, like, so quick to sell out Hammond? I, I think they answer that in the movie. It's because, like, he feels like he's not getting paid enough for what he's trying to do. 
So when that other company comes along and says, we'll give you, you know, I forget what the sum of the money was, but whatever crazy amount of money it was to steal these embryos, he's okay. like, yeah, sure, no problem, because he's greedy. And you know, remember, because they have that whole conversation, and he says, well, you know, do you think anybody could do what I'm doing for what I bid for this job? And John Hammond says, I don't fault people for their mistakes, but I do ask that they accept them or they take responsibility or whatever, something like that. And so he's clearly disgruntled gotcha. and that's why he's doing this. Okay. Um, back to the thing about him saying building in Orlando, that's also kind of funny because eventually they would yeah. add Jurassic Park to Islands of Adventure in yeah. Orlando six years later. Um, a little foreshadowing there. I'm sure at the time they didn't know. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think they could have predicted that it would be successful maybe but i right. don't know if they would have known what they were getting into yeah i mean that probably wasn't like intentional in the movie it's just kind of funny that like that ended up happening like in real life so you see they're in the what, what did you say it was a ford explorer yes they're in the explorers and the storm has come so like the the cars have stopped and you see their little water cups begin to like shake and you just know that that means it's about it's about to go down, right? And I think that even now, and I, I, I would like to see my children's opinion on this, that T-Rex is so scary. Like, it looks so real. It looks like it's right there. It's very scary. What do you think? Yeah, it is. Like, it's just very scary because I'm just... When the water's shaking, I'm just like, oh no, something's coming. And like, my, like, it's scary that the fact, um, they, there's a briefcase in the car, and there's a, there's, there's a flashlight in it, and I don't know why the girl thinks this is a good idea, but she just turns on the flashlight. Well, she didn't know. She didn't know that that would make the dinosaur come to her. Yeah, go on. Yeah, I remember seeing the, the scene where the girl turns on the flashlight and keeps, like, shaking it around in front of the T-Rex. And I'm just like, what are you doing? You're going to, like, like alert yourself. And then the T-Rex goes over to the car and, like, breaks. The, no, he tips the car over. No, no, he doesn't. He breaks the sunroof. And he starts, like, like the children use it as a shield, and he starts chomping down trying to eat the children. And I'm just like, I would already be dead of fear. Yep. <laughs> yep, exactly. Exactly. And then he tips over the car, and the boy is still in it, and then later on, the, 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 the car the boy is in falls into a tree. Yep. Yes. I think that goes back to what I was saying about there being a mix of practical and CGI effects, because that... T-Rex was a practical effect like they actually built an animatronic for that and they actually had they were having and also kind of similar to Jaws uh, they had issues with it when it got wet so they would have to like towel it down and dry it off because it was getting to the point where it would like stop working and stuff in between the takes oh wow and that's what happened in Jaws like they built that animatronic shark and they hadn't really tested it too much in the water so when they first put it in the ocean it shorted out and sank to the bottom. <laughs> and that's why a lot of the movie Jaws is filmed from the shark's point of view. Because that was out of necessity. Because they couldn't use the animatronic as much as they had originally planned. 
Um, which arguably makes it a better movie than it probably would have been had you been able to see the shark a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. So that's another connection, you know, Jaws and Jurassic Park, Spielberg, John Williams, all of that. Right. Yes. Um, I feel like when they're in the car, like when it got tipped over, I just, at that moment, I feel like I'm just like, bruh, all of them need to make it out of there. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very scary moment for sure. Yes. I would just like to say that like John Williams and Alan Silvestri, who is also another composer that did a lot of music for Universal movies, um, they're both, they both have like really great and I don't know what the right word is, like iconic, I guess, music. Mm -hmm. Like John Williams, he did like Star Wars, he did Jaws, he did Jurassic Park. Uh, Alan Silvestri. I can't really think of a lot of movies besides like the Back to the Future trilogy for music he did. But he has done famous movie music. I just can't like right. name some off the top of my head. So yeah, he the, they have like this very iconic uh, team that has created um, music that you recognize instantaneously. So... Um, so another thing that I noticed was that when Dennis Nedry, he steals the embryos and he puts them in the Barbasol can and he's trying to get away in the storm and he's in such a hurry that he is just like, he crashes the car like twice, I think. Um, he knocks down the sign to the dock and then he crashes the car again and he's trying to get out of there and the, um, Dilophosaurus comes along and he's he's like really mean to this Dilophosaurus. So quite frankly, I feel like Dennis Nedry got what was coming to him. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just like probably a symbolism too of like, you know, you're being punished for your sins kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's part of the point. Like he's this mean like guy to this Dilophosaurus and this, this Dilophosaurus is just like, yeah, I'm going to gang up on you with my friends and murder you. Eat you for dinner, yes. Um, so I feel like he kind of deserves that, because, like, the plot of this movie kind of is that the he is the bad guy. He's like a secret agent, and throughout the whole movie, I was, I was kind of confused without... Like, I was confused. Like, I didn't, I didn't even know he was a secret agent until, like, like I don't know, like, the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like he kind of does, like, the Dilophosaurus, like, shooting him with Venom. He, he deserves that. Like, he deserves that. One thing I thought was interesting about that whole scene was that um, earlier in the movie, Alan Grant had had told this story of how um, the Velociraptors hunt in packs. And it appears that uh, they weren't the only ones that set up ambushes and things like that. Yeah. Which they didn't really ever, like, explicitly say, I don't think, but they demonstrated it by showing that scene. Right. And so specifically, he called the Dilophosaurus a dummy, and then, like, uh, actually, he's not so dumb. (laughs) Go fetch the stick, stupid. Oh, another thing that's kind of funny in this movie to watch for 
is that like when he slips on the waterfall, like I don't I think it's supposed to be a, like an animal or something in the background, but it's perfectly timed to where he slips, where it just goes wee. <laughs> like if you listen really closely, it's pretty funny. Yeah. So one of the other scenes that uh, we have in our notes here is that uh, you know there's a scene where Tim and Lex and Dr. Grant, after having been through this T-Rex attack, uh, have a close-up encounter with a Brachiosaurus. Yeah, and it sneezes on Lexi, and it's so gross. Like, I can't even watch. So, trigger warning, maybe. If you... Yeah, yeah. Yes. That was like one of the grossest parts of the movie. I'm just like, and if you look closely, it, it. It's in her mouth. Yeah. Yeah, it's in her mouth. Like, yeah. ew. It's not real snot though. But, you know. know. It was probably just like, water with like green food coloring. I know, but it's still disgusting. Um, <sighs> I think that the raptor destroying the. You know, the dinosaur fossil um, in the visitor center is some major symbolism right at the end. Uh, yeah, I think that whole scene at the end is some... Is, it sort of underscores the, the main message of, like, don't mess with nature. And it's funny because it's, like, right at the end where the T-Rex is kind of roaring and then that banner falls down. It says, when dinosaurs ruled the earth. And it was just, like... Yeah, now they rule it again because you couldn't leave well enough alone. Like, don't mess with nature. Yeah. So I think that the interesting thing about this movie is not only has it held up, like, the 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 content of the movie, the filming of the movie, all of the things about this movie, but there's so many layers to it, right? Yeah. There's, like, really deep symbolism and, like, should we mess with nature? You know, all of these, like, very big questions. But then there's also um, kind of surface-level things, too. So there's so many layers to this movie that I feel like every time you watch it, you you see it from a different perspective. And I feel like as a child, I definitely saw it from a different perspective as I do and as an adult. And I think... You know, there's there's lessons to be learned at each of those levels. I think it's also kind of personally relevant to just society today, where you you're always hearing about them like we're gonna do something that you know you're just like you probably shouldn't do that. That's not a good idea, and it's like the same sort of thing that happens here, where it's like all of the experts are like, "What are you doing? This is gonna kill us all." But they're like, "No, we should do it. It'll be fine." Yeah. Yes. I have another question. Okay. Like, even though this this did happen in real life, um, I feel like in Jurassic Park, when the boy when they're stuck in the car, like I feel like they would kind of not survive, like, cause there's a literal T Rex right there, and the the boy got shot in a tree, messed with... Oh, my God. The boy would be dead. I swear. Maybe. Maybe, but I think he got very lucky. Oh, yeah. There's another scene where the boy... 
I mean, you can kind of consider him dead, but, like, not really. I'm gonna not consider it dead. He should have been dead, though, because he was climbing down an electric fence, and it was finally turning on after the power being off. And it was, like, had a warning, like, it's gonna turn on soon. And it's like, I'll jump on the count of three. Three. I mean, one. Two. And then... And then he falls off. And he stops breathing. And his I don't think his heart was working. And so Alan Grant gives him CPR and he lives. And I'm just like, how are you not dead? Yeah, CPR. I'm just like, how in the heck are you not dead? Well, then he says three when he wakes up. That's the first thing he says. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Well, I wrote down some of my favorite scenes, too. So maybe I'll go through those here. Um, on the island where... Dennis Nedry meets Dodson, who's giving him the money, or half the money, for stealing the embryos. And he's just, don't don't use my real name. Dodson, Dodson, we got Dodson here. See, nobody cares. It's pretty fun. Um, some of the character development that you see throughout the movie for all of these main characters, but like in the beginning, uh, you know, Grant's talking about how he hates kids. And, you know, Ellie clearly wants to have kids someday, and he's, you know, this whole experience kind of, like, forces him. He ends up becoming, like, a reluctant good dad, so to speak. Not an actual dad, but it shows kind of deep down underneath it that he has paternal instincts, and he has the capacity to be a loving and caring father figure for somebody. But I guess it just took an experience like this to bring it out of him. Um, I like the where they first realize that the, how the dinosaurs move, and he says they do move in herds. And they were just like so excited about that, yeah. yeah. And I've, I've actually used that in my own life, where you see something like in real life, like you see like a group of women going to the bathroom together or something, and I'm like, they do move in herds. Yes. Um. Uh, let's see. What else did I write down? Mr. DNA is a great character. Mr. DNA. I just like how he says dinosaur. It's a dinosaur. <laughs> dinosaur. Dino DNA. Um, one of the things I was thinking about, too, which I think about when I watch a lot of movies, is, like, you see these people that are, you know, they have these kind of meaning, seemingly minor roles in movies. And sometimes you look back later on and you're like, oh, that guy went on to become a big star. And then other times it's just, like, nothing. And I always kind of wonder about, like, what happened to those people? Like, for example, in this movie, when we were watching the, the DNA thing, and they showed the scientists extracting the DNA from the mosquito, and I was like, I just kind of wonder, you know that guy is probably just like, I'm going to be in Jurassic Park, this is going to be my chance, you know? And it's like nothing, as far as I know, ever happened for that guy. But, I mean, you know, he does have that claim to fame. He can show all his friends, that's me, I'm taking the blood out of the dinosaur. Mm. I know I would brag about that if I was that guy. Um... Uh, I liked Joseph Macello's and Ariana Richards' performance as uh, Tim and Lex. Uh, I remember like really liking uh, Joseph Macello's um, acting in general at the time because he had been in several other movies that I had seen that I thought he was good in. Like um, he was in uh, Radio Flyer and he was in The Cure and. Uh, I don't know. I feel like there was more than that. But anyway, those two for sure. And that was cool to see him in this. Later on, I think the most recent thing I've seen him in was he was the bass player in Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, so that was kind of neat. Uh, 
One interesting thing was Lex was upset about, like, the goat being fed to the T-Rex. And Colin was also, because they're both vegetarians. So that was kind of cool how there's parallels there. Um, yes? I was upset, too. I love animals. Yeah, kids were really upset. Uh, so, I don't know. I thought it was kind of adds to the sort of horror movie type vibe of the that section of the movie. Um yeah, I like knew I knew that like it was going to happen cuz T-Rex T-Rexes are carnivores, but it was annoying. Yeah. I like where they say, well, "What happened to the goat?" and then like the leg lands on the roof. <laughs> yeah, that part disgusts me. I just like Ugh. Uh, Um So what else what else did you find uh, intriguing? Muldoon is telling everybody about the intelligence of the raptors, mm-hmm. like when they're feeding them the cow or the bull in the beginning, which is interesting because he ends up later on getting killed by the raptors, and he says, "Clever girl," you yeah. know, like he knew he knew he was done for at that point. Yeah. Um, even though he did all he could to kind of prevent it. Um, uh, what else do I have here that we haven't talked about? Blah, blah, blah. Samuel L. Jackson is Mr. Arnold, where he's doing the IT stuff. Hold on to your butts. <laughs> I still yeah. like to say that when I do things on my computer before I hit the enter key. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum saying, what do they got in there? King Kong, when they're rolling up to the gates. King Kong is another successful franchise for Universal. Mm-hmm. Um... This is a little uh, minor detail, but something kind of funny that I noticed was Dennis Nedry's soda can. It was before they had implemented the wide mouth on the soda cans, um, which I believe was an innovation from beer, but they eventually brought it over to soda. Um, uh, Then you see, you know, Dennis Nedry kind of planting the seed for his attack. Like, oh, you know, I'm queuing this up some things might go offline you know whatever and um there's no headrest in those explorers which i think is more so for the camera but i think they do that a lot in movies if you really look closely you'll notice a lot of the the vehicles in movies don't have headrests and i believe that's because they need them out of the way for the shots but it it, it's kind of weird because in real life you don't really see cars like that you know but it was weird because like in these explorers it didn't even look like there was a place where they took it out. It just looked like there was never anything there. So I thought that was interesting. Um, I noticed this time when we were watching it that um, while Malcolm was explaining the chaos theory to uh, Ellie Sattler that you could see... I thought it might have been an abandoned Jeep like out in the field, but what it actually was was that Ranger's Jeep that was working with the Triceratops. And that was a little foreshadowing, but I had never noticed that before. Mm. Um, they find out the doors don't lock on the cars. Or they can all get out and just do whatever they want, which is another bit of foreshadowing. that you know They're just totally unprepared to run a park of this magnitude. Um, I thought it was interesting that like their whole IT center had Macintosh computers. Um, yeah. Just something I noticed. Uh... Another thing that shows how they're unprepared was that the reason the Triceratops was sick was because they had toxic plants out there. And she even gave them that lecture when they were having the meeting of like, you guys picked plants here because they look good, but you have no idea, you know, that they're toxic or that they're going to defend themselves 
if necessary and it's going to cause problems mm-hmm. um the whole thing could have been avoided or kind of avoided because they were going to cut the tour short and bring them back but then you know nedry shut the power down and then all hell broke loose <laughs> yeah. uh then there was some kind of some tension between Malcolm and Grant over Ellie because I guess Malcolm didn't know that Grant and Ellie were together. So it was interesting that they kind of started off with some tension, but by the end of it, they're friends. Um, let's see. I guess if Nedry wasn't so greedy, then like none of this would have happened because, you know, it was him shutting those systems down that kind of was a domino effect for everything else to go into place. That, that just goes to show that money doesn't solve problems. Yeah, well, or it might have solved problems if they spent a little more money on, like, getting a, a better IT department and more infrastructure in place. Well, Which is also interesting because he never misses an opportunity to remind you that he spared no expense. Well, right. yeah, but I meant, like, because Nedry's so greedy to get money and he, like, basically killed himself trying to get it. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Mm-hmm. I like where he coded in the ah ah ah. You didn't say the magic word. Yeah, that was funny. It's just like ah ah ah. And then Samuel L. Jackson, please. I hate this hacker crap. That's how I feel a lot of the time. Something when I'm trying to do stuff on computers, and it's like you don't. It's like oh, that thing didn't work because you know you you didn't capitalize this letter or something stupid like that. And you're like, you know what I meant? Just work. Um, the lawyer gets eaten off the toilet. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind that was... of funny. Yeah. You know, the kids are all paranoid when he leaves. Like, he left us. What are we going to do? And then Grant says, where is he going? And then, and then oh, Malcolm, when you got to go, you got to go. Yeah. Um, I remember Grant advising the kids not to move. Or advising Malcolm not to move when the T-Rex showed up. But I think later on, they some research suggested that the, the vision actually wasn't based on movement. Like they had popularized. I think there's several things that they discuss in this movie that research later on. There's different theories on whether or not it's correct. Um, some things were right. Some things were wrong. Isn't that why Chris Pratt's character pours the the gasoline on himself? I think so. Yeah. That, yeah. So it's interesting. Like that. That's an interesting. I don't aspect. think that was a T-Rex, but still. I think that was the Indominus Rex. Yeah. Wasn't it? yeah. Um, Go ahead. Um, this isn't a fact about Jurassic Park, but it's a fact about, uh, I, I want to say it's Dominion. Yeah, it is Dominion. Originally, before the movie came out, they were intending to have Alan Grant and Owen Grady die in the movie, like, together. They were gonna get eaten by the, what was it called? Like, the Giganotosaurus, I think is what it was called. Wow. Mm. Okay. That'd be pretty crazy. I don't really think that was it, but no, okay. that's right. Chiganotosaurus. Um. Let's see. So, um. I think we've talked about most of the movie at this point. Yeah. Do you, do you Colin? Do you want to tell us what your favorite scene was? Oh, that's hard. Um. Probably the part in the beginning when Muldoon is like, shoot ha! shoot ha! Because it just shoot sounds so funny. Okay. Shoot-a! What was your favorite scene, Olivia? Um, 
I have a few of them. But um, one of my favorite things was um, we already talked about this scene, but like where he slips and he's just like wee. It's so funny to me. I'm just like, <laughs> it's so funny. It's just. And then another of my favorite scenes is where that um is where that I um, use your words. Come on. Okay, never mind. I forgot it. Oh, okay. Travis, what's your favorite scene? Uh, I don't know if I have a favorite scene. One thing I noticed while we were watching, though, was that, you know, there's really only four deaths in this movie. Um, it's Nedry, and then it's um, the lawyer, and then it's um, Arnold, and then Muldoon. And I think those are really the only four people that die. Okay. Which was, which was kind of a low, lower number than I would have thought. Yeah, but, um, there's a lot more after that yeah. <laughs> in the sequels. Yeah, a lot more people. Some die. of the little details they had in there, like that lysine contingency, um, where they say, "Well, we have this contingency; they need that to live, and we have we have it set up so you know if if we don't check in with them in 48 hours, we deny them that, and they all slip into a coma and die." But they were even wrong about that. Right. Because as is evidenced in the sequels, you know, like, so they were just clearly totally had no idea what they were doing with this whole thing, which is, you know, a theme that repeats over and over again. But I think they did a really good job on, you know, driving that point home. Excellent. I think my favorite scene is when they are um, driving into the park for the first time and they they see the dinosaurs and um, Ellie stands up in the Jeep and then it like pans to like all the dinosaurs. And it's just like that first whoa moment of like, this is, this is spectacular, you know? Yeah. So anything else you want to say? Yes. Okay. Um, I remember another of my favorite scenes. I think this, this is the last one. Um, when, when the boy is stuck in the tree, um, when, when the man's getting him down, like, I love how it's just, like, the, the car's falling and it's just a chase. It's just like, meh. Okay. All right. Any, you want to say something else? I feel like there's a lot of stuff in this movie that's, like, very iconic from like the logo to the theme song to like the the line welcome to jurassic park like this this movie was turned out to be a way i don't know like bigger deal than expected yeah i think this uh the impact that this has had on our culture and maybe even like a global culture is uh kind of immeasurable it's an iconic movie i can't believe it's been 30 years but I'm glad we were able to celebrate it with this episode. And, you know, if you have thoughts and opinions on Jurassic Park, please uh, hit us up. We're Life and Pictures Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Life and Picks Pod on um, Twitter. Actually, I think we're at Life and Picks Pod on Instagram also. And Life and Pictures Podcast at gmail.com if you'd like to interact that way. 
So just to kind of wrap it up, I thought it was interesting that I saw this movie for the first time when I was eight years old, and our daughter is eight years old, and she's seen the movie for the first time. Eight and a half years old. Yes. Um, I'm pretty sure I saw it when I was eight, too. Yeah. So just a kind of full circle moment, and tell us about your favorite scene on our socials. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Hope you've enjoyed the show. See you next time.